Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Beth Lipton is a recipe developer, food wellness writer for Food Network, Clean Eating Magazine, and more. And Ashley Van Houten Houten. (laughs) is a health coach, podcast host, and author with more than 10 years of experience. Her podcast, Muscle Maven Radio, has been downloaded more than one and a half million times, and she's interviewed many of the leading minds in exercise and nutrition methodology. She's also the author of It Takes Guts, All About Eating Nose to Tail, What, Why, and How, and she's a formerly nationally ranked natural figure competitor and has competed in powerlifting and CrossFit. Welcome to the show, Beth and Ashley. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, We're of course. Um, and so I wanted to start, well, the name of the book, um, I should mention that to get going, is Carnivore-ish, <laughs> Why More Women Should Be Eating More Protein, 125 Protein-Rich Recipes to Boost Your Health and Build Muscle. Um, what is Carnivore-ish to both of you? And I love how you start the book with this, by the way. Go ahead, Beth. Well, <laughs> uh, well, thank you for having us. We're both really excited to be here. Um, so carnivore-ish is, I mean, we, we're both, it's sort of cheeky, but we're both basically, we both basically focus our own diets on animal protein first. So it kind of goes against the conventional quote unquote wisdom about how we're supposed to be designing our plates. You know, the sort of conventional style is you fill in your plate with vegetables and 25% of your plate is starch. And then you get like a little bit in the corner for protein. Um, and it should, you know, often be vegetable based protein. And our feeling was like, let's flip that on its head because we know that animal protein is the most uh, nutrient dense, the most satiating, the most complete form of protein, um, the least processed and most natural form of protein. And, uh, and it should be at the center of our plates. It should be the, the focus. For us, not the only part of what we're eating, because we both like to incorporate vegetables and fruit and spices and other things, um, but definitely it's the star of the plate. So that was our approach, and we've had a lot of success with it, and we've you know, kind of read all the studies, and, and both of us have coached people one-on-one and found success with this type of eating. So we wanted to make it easy by putting it into a book and making it something that people could incorporate easily into their own lifestyle. Yeah. And I'll just add that, you know, the reason why we call it carnivore-ish is because, and you being in this, this kind of world too, that things can often seem very like black and white and especially online and things can seem very like regimented and the way people communicate about different sort of health 
um, concepts can be very much like you have to do it exactly this way or else not only will you fail, but you're an idiot for, for trying. And we really are trying to live in a more moderate, sustainable, realistic place where um, most people don't need to eat strict carnivore, certainly not long-term. And even if they, even if that was beneficial, they wouldn't because let's face it, that's just not something a lot of people are going to do. Um, and so we're really trying to reach people where they are and give them options that are, again, realistic, sustainable, pleasurable still, um, and something that they can incorporate in their real life, like going out to dinner with friends and making food for their families. Um, it doesn't have to just be ground beef or bust. You know, we wanted to offer other options. Yeah, I've been nodding my head the whole time because <laughs> I get on my soapbox all the time about carnivore not being black or white and people saying that's not carnivore online or in response to people sharing recipes or sharing how they're eating. And it's just not productive in my mind um, yeah. to like isolate people like that and try to have this in-group, out-group. Like, if you're trying to prioritize to your whole point, Beth, of having meat being like meat forward or animal protein forward, that's a win. That's awesome. And like, if you need to have some dark chocolate or you need to have some avocados, some vegetables, that's fine. Like you don't get kicked out of the carnivore club. You don't, you don't have to not call yourself a carnivore because of that. So I'm a huge fan. Um, if you couldn't tell. And, uh, why did you write this book? Who is it for? How's it different than other cookbooks? Well, um, I mean, you know, from a sales point of view, you say it's written for everybody, but, but really, and it is, it is certainly, we hope accessible to everybody, but really it's written with women in mind because a lot of the meat focused books out there are very sort of dude centric. You know, it's like a picture on the cover of like a dude with lots of muscles with big steak. And there's nothing wrong with that. Both of us appreciate right. a dude with muscles and a big steak. But you know that that kind of that kind of messaging says to women, this is not for you. It's not feminine. Um, it's heavy. Like this isn't a, a type of eating that's going to give you what you want, which is you know to feel nourished and energized and to reach your body composition goals, whatever your particular set of goals are. So we really wanted to create a cookbook that is a celebration of food and has a definite sort of culinary perspective. It's there's a lot of information about there about like, you know, good strategies for how to cook a steak or cook some, you know, chicken thighs or whatever, but it's also really a culinary celebration. So there's tons of recipes that you could just make on a regular weeknight, but there's also things you could make for the holidays. We really wanted this book to be something that you could bring to your whole life, bring to your family and have it be something that makes this way of eating really easy and accessible and fun and delicious. Yeah. It seems like in the kind of like nutrition and dare I say the, the word diet, cause no one really likes that, but by diet, I don't even necessarily mean like weight loss diet. I just mean the way you eat, but you know, in diet culture, it seems like it's, it's much more strongly pushed to women that you have to kind of suffer to eat healthy and you have to suffer to like get your ideal body composition and all of those things. Like, and I'm sure it probably, I mean, it exists for men too, who are trying to like eat super clean or whatever, but more for women, it's like, you have to eat low fat and light and plant-based and this much food and always be a little bit hungry. And, um, it's just not the case. It just isn't necessary. And we're living proof of it. And the people that we've worked with over the years are proof of it. And so we just kind of want to show people that you really can eat food that 
a lot of people consider decadent and that's actually health food. Like it still blows my mind how much I have like clients and friends who should know by now, cause they know me, they'll tell me stuff like, Oh, you know, I, I really, I, I was bad today. I really treated myself and I had, you know, a, a big steak or something, or I, I had a big plate of eggs and bacon for breakfast. It's so, so terrible. Like, Oh, I'm so bad. And I'm just like, what? Like that's, that's health food. That, that must've tasted delicious and filled you up and given you energy and all that protein is going to your muscles and it's great. Like, so, you know, I think that it's a, it's an area that is still very underserved and women still very much feel like they have to punish themselves to, to eat right. And we just kind of want to show a different way. Yeah. I'm always, um, very impressed by the amount of women in the carnivore community um, and like successful women, because a lot of the messaging is so like dude centric to your point. Like, mm-hmm. obviously there are fantastic leaders, uh, women, women leaders in the carnivore community, uh, both on the research side and like the author side, everything. Um, but I have felt like it is, it does skew a lot towards men. So it's just even more impressive that the women are like, so dedicated and, um, awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I, I laugh about the, the suffering piece just because Amy Berger always has the saying of like pictures of women laughing, eating a salad <laughs> like all over the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. You don't yep. have like Absolutely. a picture of women like eating into a big steak or having a, a that's us every day. Like yeah. go on our Instagram that. account. We need more of that. We need more yeah. of that. There's pictures of us. Yeah. There's pictures yeah. of us doing that. And yeah. I think that's, I think what you found, the reason why you found so many women leaders in the carnivore community is because they've been there. They've tried all those other things. They've eaten the salad and the low fat yogurt and whatever else, and it hasn't worked for them. And sometimes it's just been an exercise in frustration and futility. And sometimes it's actually harmed their health in one way or another. So I I feel like it makes sense that there are a lot of women in that community because they've probably been through the ringer taking, you know, sort of the conventional advice and getting nowhere. And there's also the side of it that, you know, there's like the sort of almost moral judgment side of it too, because I know, I don't know if this is necessarily as true with men because most of my clients and people I deal with are women, but like, I have a lot of women in my DMS that are like, I went vegan for health reasons. I went vegetarian because I thought it was better for the planet, et cetera, et cetera. Years later, I am miserable and all I want is a steak. And I kind of want to start eating meat again, but like, I'm not sure how, and I feel really bad and I feel really weird about it. And so I think having a little bit more, um, like visibility, like we are saying of like women who are actually doing it and finding, um, health benefits, but also the book isn't just recipes. There's a really significant section that kind of talks through some of these challenges that people can have around feeling bad about eating meat or like these misconceptions about it being heavy or unhealthy or, you know, bad for the world and all of these things. Like we dive into that because, um, I think it really helps people find, peace, but also adherence with a different style of eating when they know like the why, like why it works, not just, well, this one sucked and this one's better, you know, but why though? And then if people understand, they might be more likely to kind of give it a try and stick with it. A lot of people ask me about how to make liver more tasteful and how to cook it or incorporate other organ meats on carnivore. Optimal Carnivore can help you do just that with their grass-fed organ complex. It was created by carnivores for carnivores. They start by sourcing 100% grass-fed organ meats from New Zealand, gently freeze-drying the organs, and encapsulating them into convenient bovine gelatin capsules. 
Just six of these capsules a day is the same as eating an ounce of raw organ meat. I personally take these every single day, as does my wife. Even though we both eat liver and other organ meats, our ancestors would have eaten the whole animal. And this unique blend has nine different organs, including beef liver, brain, thymus, kidney, spleen, etc. And I think it's great to get a daily dose of these organs when you can. So it covers all your bases, whether you're at home or traveling. What's also cool is they plant a tree for every product sold, which helps the environment. So visit www.optimalcarnivore.com slash carnivorecast and use the code carnivore10 to receive 10% off your purchase. Thanks and back to the show. I like how you have the recipes as the core, but a lot of that educational content is um, <clears throat> really like holding up the structure of the book, which I think is great. And I was commenting um, before we started recording that uh, my wife and I, so my wife's hardcore carnivore, She's uh, she should be the poster child for <laughs> women carnivores. Nice. Um, it's the, the book, it's, we, we go through a lot of cookbooks um, and, and recipe books. And uh, what I love about yours is it's simple recipes with few ingredients. There are some more complex ones, but uh, a lot of them are like these six ingredients. There's great pictures of every dish. And you'd be amazed how many cookbooks don't have that. And it's also, it's not too rigid. Um, You talk about flexibility and like swapping things in and out. And it's also creative. Like you have compound butter recipes in there and carne asada and mushu pork bowls. It's like, it's really cool. So I, I just wanted to say, I really like that. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. I really appreciate you bringing up the like rigidity part because it's sort of funny. Beth and I, when we were working on this process, like we wanted to be even less rigid. And at a certain point, our publishers were like, you got to have a recipe or else like what's, you know, kind of the point of the book, because so often, I mean, I know this was how I felt with my first book. It takes guts. It's all about organ meats. And I was, you know, um, I was writing these recipes and people, cause people were reaching out to me and they're like, how do you make chicken hearts? How do you make liver? I'm like, I don't like literally cook it and eat it. Like I don't have a recipe for you. <laughs> and then I was like, wait a minute. So many people are asking me, like, maybe there is room for this. And I created a whole book based on that. So with this book, we have recipes that we tested and we think are good, but the whole point of it is make it your own. Like if you don't like this spice, if you don't like this side dish, if you don't like this even animal, you want to choose a different, a different protein, like do what you do what you want. That's the whole point is we're not trying to give you restrictive rules. We're trying to just show you what's possible. I, one of the things I do is I teach private cooking classes and so often I've worked with people and they're like, well, would it be okay? And I'm like, you know, the recipe police are not going to bust in on you. Like you can do whatever you want. The worst case scenario is that something won't come out exactly as you'd hoped, but then you just laugh about it and, you know, in our case, eat it anyway. And, (laughs) and then go back to the original recipe or try something different. I mean, I, I think, um, Ashley's right that, um, you know, what we really hope people take away, one of the things we hope people take away from this book is just an appreciation for and some confidence around cooking these types of recipes where they they feel like, you know, oh, well, I made this recipe in the book and it had me do this. What if I took that same flank steak and instead of, you know, this spice, I used that one and it gives them the the freedom and the confidence to to really expand based on their own tastes. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's funny you bring up the people asking permission to change something in the recipe because <laughs> I get the same exact questions around like, am I allowed to eat this in your diet? I was like, whoa, stop. <laughs> you can eat whatever you want. It is not my diet. And I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't eat. Uh, I'm watching but, you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how, how did the two of you meet? I, I think this was cool story in the preface. Yeah, we we were just kindred spirits. I'm I'm so I still like I'm so grateful that we had this like one chance meeting in New York. There are so many romantic movies based on this premise, but we, <laughs> you know, we met at this like sort of industry event because we're both um like journalists and writers and sort of health nutrition professionals. Um, and we met at this, it was sort of like a press event for a, a company, for a, a food company. And the night was a little bit off, um, would have been a wasted night if I hadn't met Beth that night. And <laughs> we just kind of connected and we're like, what is going on here? But anyway, we had a great time and we realized that we saw eye to eye on a lot of things. And we kind of just became friends. It wasn't really like a very a super professional thing for a long time. And as we just continued, our relationship continued to grow and we realized that we really kind of had similar feelings about a lot of things in terms of nutrition and working out and health and what that means. Um, we're like, we got to do something together. You know, we have to like do a project together or create something. Um, and really it was Beth's genius idea to make this book because it was something that we were kind of like seeing out in the world and we were also experiencing and people were kind of putting a name to it, but not quite, you know, people were like aiming for this carnivore carnivore thing, not quite getting there and like not really knowing where they were. And we're like, that's a place too, you know, carnivore-ish, like almost carnivore, but not quite is like actually a pretty great place to be. Um, so yeah, it, uh, it worked out really well that we, we met that night. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and can you talk about, uh, like we've talked about animal protein, um, but can we go a little bit deeper on that? What are some of the benefits of prioritizing animal protein, especially for women? Um, like how does it contribute to better health, other benefits? Um, take that however you want to. Well, I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, how women, like there's always pictures of women eating salad on the, on the internet. And why are they eating the salad, right? I mean, because they want to be thin or they want, you know, whatever. But most of us, no matter whether your goals are to build muscle or to get thinner or to have more energy or some combination of those things or other things, or maybe fertility is a, is a question. Um, what we all need is nutrient dense, unprocessed food. I mean, that's going to be the thing that's going to get you whatever it is that you're looking for. And basically animal protein is the place where you're going to find the most nutrients, the most bioavailable nutrients, because it doesn't matter if you're eating something, if your body can't process it, um, and also the most satisfying food. So if you put all those things together, I mean, the, the most logical place to go is animal protein. And one of the most amazing things about, about animal protein, both from a culinary perspective and a health perspective is animal protein isn't one thing. You know, there's so many different types and varieties and they're all different they all bring different, they all bring sort of in the Venn diagram, they're all super healthy and nutrient dense and, you know, rich in bioavailable protein, but then separately this, this particular set of nutrients or the particular set of amino acids within the protein is different for all the different animal proteins. So you get both, you get all these health benefits and you get all this variety. 
So, and for women who, um, as Ashley was saying, are often given this message that we're supposed to suffer and always be a little hungry um, and never really feel satisfied and eat light, whatever that means. Um, animal protein is really the answer because it's something that will bring you that feeling of satisfaction. It will bring you those nutrients you want. Um, you know, women, you know, we're given like the RDA, for example, is not nearly adequate for women. Um, as we age, we need it even more, not less, which is another message that we're given that's that's incorrect. You know, women who want to be, I'm going to watch Ashley flinch, women who want to be quote unquote toned, um, <laughs> those women, what they really want is muscle tone. They want more muscle. Um, and that doesn't mean bulk. That just means having those, you know, beautifully defined muscles. And in order to get that, you need animal protein. So it, it kind of runs the gamut for women in terms of no matter what your goals are for your health, for your body composition, for your energy level, no matter what it is, animal protein is really the thing that is going to be most instrumental toward getting you there. And it's delicious. Yeah. I mean, that's the most important part. You buried the lead there, but um, <laughs> Sorry. yeah. And I mean, just to, just to like add on to what Beth is saying from a physiological perspective, why it's, it's, it's important for everybody, but especially so for women, because we are more likely to experience as we get older and it matters when you're in your twenties and thirties too. It's just, that's when you're setting yourself up for success. We are more um, likely to experience things like sarcopenia, which is like muscle wasting and osteoporosis, which is bone density loss, um, because we are less likely to eat the things that support those, our bones and our muscles. And we're less likely to do like weight bearing exercise and be trying to build our muscles in our younger years. Men are kind of more drawn towards that, that avenue anyway. Um, and also women who are having monthly cycles, right? We have extra requirements for things like iron and magnesium and things that we're like losing throughout the process of our like daily, weekly, monthly life. And the best way to replace those things is with bioavailable, like animal protein that has all of those vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and all those things that we need. So, um, yeah. And like Beth was saying, you know, a lot of times people think once they head into sort of their forties or fifties, and maybe you aren't working as hard in the gym and maybe your, your goals have changed. You're like, well, I don't really need this as much anymore. I'm not trying to like get jacked. So I don't need as much protein. I'll just eat light. Like this is actually when you need to work harder to work against our bodies natural inclination to start losing muscle as we age and start, um, you know, not having as much sort of robust skeletal strength. So yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's always important. It doesn't matter how strong or fit or young or old you are. Those are kind of the biggest, um, touch points is like eat more protein and lift some weights. Um, and that's gonna make you feel and look better. Yeah, super important. Um, I do my toning exercises every morning, by the way. So <laughs> You're toning? I'm all is set it, there. Is it super high rep? Is it super high rep, low weights? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to lengthen my muscles. So got it, uh, got it. Right. <laughs> um, Good luck. Let me know. Let me know how that works out for you. <laughs> um, so you talked a little bit, Beth, about plant based, um, and I, I guess why is plant based so problematic and associated with health. And then maybe also um, adding on to that, like the difference between animal and plant proteins. Well, so I don't mean to, I don't mean to say, say that plant-based foods are, are good or bad. Like that, that's not, I'm not, I'm not um, sort of yucking anyone's yum around plant-based foods. I think the issue is that um, plant-based foods have this health halo 
And, you know, so many people in the public assume that if something is plant-based, that means it's healthier for you. That means it's better for the environment. And it, it, it just is factually incorrect. It's not my opinion. It's just not true. Um, yes, there are plant-based foods that are healthy. And yes, there are plant-based foods that are good for the environment. But there are also a lot that are really bad. So um, I think it's just a matter of um, being really critical in our thinking around um, around what what it is that we want and what it is that's really good for us. So that's where I think the problem is. And, and I think a lot of the reason why plant-based foods have this health halo is just, it just comes down to marketing. You know, you, you make, these companies are making a lot of money selling people plant-based meat and plant-based chicken nuggets and plant-based tuna fish, which I got a PR oh. pitch for not long ago. Yep. Um, so yeah, yes, yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot of money to be made. It, it, it speaks to people's emotions around food because there's a lot of emotion and a lot of, um, you know, just people have a lot of feelings around meat. And I, I understand that. And also a lot of concern for the planet, which we all feel that. So, um, I do think that, you know, there's room in our diets for plant-based foods. I just, for me, like, I think it's better to focus if you're going to eat plants, just eat plants. Um, you know, have some salad next to your steak, you know, have a, have a piece of lettuce on your burger Mm -hmm. rather than trying to satiate your desire for like, if you want meat, a plant-based meat is never going to get you there. It's never going to satisfy that craving. And I, I haven't, I've tried some of them. I haven't tried all of them, but I mean, they don't taste good. They don't look good. And they're made of like profoundly crappy ingredients, like processed oils and protein isolates and just things that are just not good for you. They're not, they're not nutrient dense. It's not bioavailable protein. So, um, you know, it just, you can tell, like, it makes me so upset to think about people who are not food obsessed, like Ashley and me, and who just are just living their lives and they just want to feed themselves and their families healthy food. And they fall for this marketing which is, I think, really criminal. Well, Beth, what you're saying about like the kind of having a critical eye on these things, I think is really important. And also what you said about not everybody spends as much time thinking about their food as we do. So we have to take that into context, but it is marketing and it is so much easier on the surface to sell plant-based because no one likes the idea of animals dying for, for your food. Like very few people are like pumped about that idea. Right. And so on the surface, it's very easy to say, if you eat meat, you're killing animals and you can kind of hide the fact that plant-based foods also kill animals under a couple like levels of, of marketing, right. That you can get there if you're critical and you kind of look into it a little deeper, but most people don't have the time to do that. Um, and it's, you know, it makes me think of like when vegan, when vegan stuff got big, like, I mean, it's been big for a while, but like more recently that became synonymous with healthy in a way that people who aren't maybe taking the time to look at ingredients, they see vegan cupcakes and they think it's a health food because it just says vegan when it's still a cupcake. It's not necessarily better or worse. I mean, I think it's worse because it doesn't have butter and eggs in it, but like, it's not, it's not like it's a bad thing. It's just a vegan version of junk food, but because the marketing has spun things, plant-based healthy, vegetarian healthy, vegan healthy. We don't stop to kind of think about what, what we're really consuming. And, you know, to, to Beth's point, I think that people who mindfully 
eat animals and people who are mindfully eating plants have very similar goals to be healthy and to like damage the planet as little as possible, right? And the best way to do that is to educate ourselves about what the food is that we're eating, how it's made, where it's coming from, how we can improve that system within our own resources and abilities. Um, you know, I think we find that most people have a lot more in common with their eating goals than they have um, different, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I, I, also, I also think that we have to mention that part of the reason why people have this idea that vegetarian and vegan is healthier is because of what they read in the news. Um, now as somebody, you know, I write for a lot of publications. So when I say the media, I'm not pointing fingers because I'm part of the same system. Um, I mean, these aren't the articles that I personally am writing, but you know, like I said, we're all part of the same system. So uh, I'm not, again, not like denigrating anybody else, but you know, a lot of studies come out that talk about the dangers, quote unquote, of eating meat. And, you know, eating meat is like smoking cigarettes and all the other crap that you read about in the news. Um, and the thing to point out around that is that a lot of the studies that are done, um, first of all, some of them have very questionable funding, um, which doesn't come through in an article about a study. Some of the studies that are done are they're observational studies. So in other words, it's not, they're not really, um, the researchers are not actually, they don't have people in a lab where they're observing everything they're eating. They're asking people questions about what they ate three months ago or longer. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't remember how many peaches I ate last summer. Um, so they're getting, and also people tend to lie because they want the researchers to be impressed with how they eat. So they're getting really shoddy, you know, unreliable information. Also, a lot of the studies don't take into account what, what's known as healthy user bias. So they ask people what they're eating and, you know, there are people who eat meat and because meat has always been considered unhealthy or at least in the last, you know, 50 or 60 years, the people who they're asking who eat meat also smoke drink a lot of alcohol, are sedentary, you know, have a lot of stress, like have other unhealthy behaviors. And so their um, less optimal outcomes are blamed on the fact that they eat meat, but it could be any number of things. And when you actually compare, when researchers have actually compared people who, you know, shop in health food stores and exercise and meditate and all these things, meat eaters versus non-meat eaters, there's almost no difference. So, you know, meat has gotten blamed for a lot of things in the press, and there have been a lot of studies that have been reported in the press that are really based on poor science. Yeah, I think that's really well said, and you do a great job of pointing out a lot of the problems, Beth, with epidemiological research. Um, and Ashley, I like what you said about uh, vegan junk food still being junk food. Um, someone actually asked me on a podcast the other day, um, which I thought was an interesting question. We'd love to get your perspectives on is what do you think of, um, on the same token, some of the like Costco keto boxed foods and a lot of these things that are popping up that are like processed keto foods. Uh, I mean, again, going back to Beth being the, um, the, the better, like the, the angel maybe instead of the devil of the two of us, like she, <laughs> she very, but she very, tactfully and, and, and correctly said, like, it's not really our job to attack people's choices or say choices are bad or, you know, people have to do what they have to do. However, from a like non-judgment sort of just, just 
I don't know, um, practical standpoint. I think all of us, no matter where we come from, we're looking for shortcuts. We're looking for loopholes. We're looking for like ways to not have to change that much and feel better about it anyway. Do you know what I mean? So like, for example, I come from like a paleo ancestral kind of background. Like I wrote for paleo magazine for years. Um, I hosted their podcast. That's still sort of my kind of like true North is kind of like eat real foods that don't have an ingredient list. And like, I don't know that we would have eaten 200 years ago, whatever. And I went down the rabbit hole of like paleo desserts and paleo treats. And I was like, I'll eat brownies all day. They're paleo. No big deal. I'm, you know, it's health food. And I had to learn that like, it's still fine. Like I'm still, I'm moving towards like a healthier direction. I'm making my own desserts. I'm making desserts with like ingredients that I recognize, but it's at the end of the day, it's still a dessert. It's still meant to be, you know, a, a treat instead of something that you eat every day. And I think, well, actually, was it Beth? Was it the key, one of those keto conventions that we had like a, a brief yes. like freak out after the fact? Yes. We went to this keto convention. This was years ago now because it was pre-pandemic, and the entire convention was keto treats and snacks. So like Costco-esque versions of like you know brownies, bars, fat bombs, whatever. And whatever. Right. And like the whole point (laughs) of keto was supposed to be that you're eating this satisfying, like high fat nutrient dense diets that you don't have to snack all the time. You don't feel like you have to eat every minute. Your cravings for sweets go down. And I'm like, so then why am I eating 4,000 calories of keto caramels right now? And that have eight different artificial sweeteners that I don't recognize and that my body has no idea what's going on. Like I remember, cause of course I ate them all at that convention. And like three days Mm -hmm. in, I was like, I think my blood is like mostly like inulin at this point. Like it's just, (laughs) it's crazy. So anyway, I'm totally going on a rant here, but I think, I think that again, if we can always remember whatever our goal is to be healthier, to eat food that makes us feel better. Um, not instead of just to be keto, like nobody's goal really should be to be keto. Like who cares what you call it or what you are, your goal should be to eat food that you like, that likes you, and that makes you feel good. Right. And I think that sometimes we get, we get, um, sort of off track by sticking to the name and the title instead of what it's actually doing for us. At the end of the day, whether you're keto or paleo or carnivore, if all you're doing is eating like the dessert version of that, you're probably not optimizing, you know, what you could be getting out of it. You know, I remember that conference well, and we had, we had attended a paleo conference together not long before that. And it was really shocking to see the difference because paleo, you can eat unhealthy paleo food, but you have to kind of go out of your way to do it. I mean, something can have too much maple syrup, but like there's some crazy keto packaged foods out there. And I think just as we were saying earlier, like a vegan cupcake is still a cupcake. The same thing is true with keto foods. You know, a keto caramel is still a caramel. So I'm not saying don't ever eat caramels again. Of course you should. Like, you know, what's life without treats occasionally? I mean, that's just crazy. But at the same time, if you look at the label and you don't recognize a lot of the ingredients or you wouldn't eat any of the ingredients as individual things, then that's a food that, no, you don't have to ban it from your life, but maybe make that a once in a while thing. And more frequently have the foods that um, that are going to be more optimal for you and are going to leave you feeling the way you want to feel. Um, and you know, one of the things we address in the book is 
people saying like, oh, I have all these sugar cravings. And our answer to that is eat more meat. <laughs> because if you are really satisfied and you and you're um you're getting all those nutrients, you will find that you crave sugar less. Not that it, the craving goes away because both of us have a really strong sweet tooth. My first cookbook was all traditional desserts. Um, so I get having cravings for sweets, but it becomes less of like a need and more of just like a, Hey, once in a while, I'd really like to have, you know, a piece of chocolate. Um, it just becomes a lot calmer and then you don't need quite so many of those, um, you know, kind of fake treats. I think the reason too, why the keto snack game is a little bit more insidious perhaps than paleo or even vegan or anything like that is because keto has in a lot of cases has become this concept where you are chasing macros instead of chasing health. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the biggest misconceptions when people get into keto is that you should be trying to just crush as much fat as you can at every meal when really it's about actually minimizing carbs. And I, I know like I had a problem with keto one of the first times I tried, because as a small woman who is not looking to gain weight, it's real easy to overeat fat because fat is highly caloric and nutrient dense. So if you like your, you know, macadamia nut butter and your avocado smoothies or whatever, like it's, you, you find yourself kind of eating a lot. Um, and so with all this alchemy and science around these like fake or like created sugars that don't do anything to you or don't raise your glycemic index and stuff, um, you're eating. Yeah. Like this weird science experiment, um, that just doesn't have any carbs in it, you know? So, but is it making you feel better? I think a lot of people who have eaten overeaten some of these treats will tell you it does not make them feel better and their digestion is crazy. Um, and it isn't helping their cravings and it isn't, you know, making them healthier. So, um, I do think that's like keto. I may be throwing it a little under the bus here, but I think that again, if we just kind of remember what we're in it for, instead of to say I'm keto or I'm carnivore, if we're saying it, like, I want to find a way of eating that I enjoy and that feels good to me. Um, keto snacks usually probably aren't going to be the holy grail for that one. Yeah. Whether you want to be strict keto or strict carnivore, or you just want to get healthier or whatever, if you just focus on eating more real whole foods, um, you're going to be, you're going to just, you're going to feel better. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. And, um, I also, to one degree, um, really sympathize with the people who are trying to do what they can, um, mm -hmm. with keto. And I think also like outside the snack point, um, a lot of people just aren't comfortable cooking or think they don't have time to cook or can't afford to cook. Even, um, people who are really, you know, maybe working multiple jobs with kids, um, and, you know, they would just be picking up ready-made meals from the grocery store or fast food. Um, and so they may be looking for some, um, attempt at health by trying to f find the keto version of these things. And so I, I definitely understand that. And, and, um, it's, it's hard, um, like definitely not the same situation, but it's funny. Um, I, I live in New York city as well, um, Beth, um, and my, my father-in-law and, uh, my mother-in-law, they eat every single meal out, um, at restaurants. And they're often, often asking me for health advice. Um, like, Hey, I'm trying to eat, you know, lower carb or lower fat. And I'd be like, 
how can you even know? Like you, you don't know what they're putting in your food. You have no mm-hmm. idea. And they're like, oh, I don't want to eat a, a high fat, low carb diet. And I'm like, well, you're already eating a lot of fat if you're eating at a restaurant. Like every vegetable dish they serve you is probably covered in canola oil and like all these things. So I, I, I think it's, it's just for some people for different reasons, <laughs> obviously some it's like economical, some it's habits, some it's lifestyle. Um, it can be hard to, um, make some of these changes. Um, there's no, there's no question. I, I mean, we both definitely, um, absolutely recognize that I was raised by a single mother. So who worked full-time plus and raised two kids on her own. So I really, I really understand and sympathize and have witnessed what that feels like. Um, but I think that's partially why what we're espousing in carnivore-ish makes so much sense because yeah, the recipes in the book are all recipes, but what we're basically saying is, look, if you get home from work and it's late and you are just exhausted, make yourself a, a little ground beef and, you know, cut up some lettuce or have half a cucumber with it and you're good. Like that's carnivore-ish just as much as like a stuffed pork roast is carnivore-ish. Um, so, and, and when you eat like a plateful of ground, you know, ground beef cooked in a little butter with a little salt in it and half a cucumber, you're going to feel a whole lot better than you would if you got some takeout pizza. And it's really not going to take you that much more time. Um, and if you are getting takeout food, just focus on getting some protein and, you know, maybe a little vegetables if you feel like it. Um, but really it can be so simple. It actually makes cooking and even eating out so much easier. Yeah. It's another thing too that uh, we, I think, are trying to show with carnivore-ish is that you don't, this concept of like a complete meal or like a well-rounded meal or just an Instagram ready meal. Um, so, so often, especially with my friends, I feel like they, they have this idea that a meal has to have like four to five discrete parts and they have to be beautifully plated and there has to be a sauce for this one or else it's unfinished. And like, you know, and, and I don't know where that really comes from. I I've, I've never been that way. I literally like eat rotisserie chicken over the sink and I'm like, excellent meal. Like that's how I do it. I know that not everybody's going to be like that much of an animal, but, but it's like, it doesn't have to, there's no rule again, that like your plate has to have like one third, this one third, this, and like your, your vegetables have to be two to three different vegetables. And there's gotta be like this beautiful, whatever. It's like, just eat meat and vegetables and eat them in the amounts that you like, and you can prep it ahead of time and you don't have to do much. And the recipe can take five minutes. I mean, I have a hard time believing that like I can make eggs in the morning as fast as someone can make a bowl of cereal. Really? Like you really can. Right. So, um, you can keep it as simple as you want and, and still find ways to make it satisfying and carnivore-ish. And we do have a section in the book that talks about how to save money on this type of eating, recognizing Mm -hmm. that we don't, we don't tell people you have to have grass fed or pastured anything. I mean, certainly if that's in your budget and it's available to you, Absolutely. That's a great choice, but that is not available to everyone. And we recognize that. And so we offer some tips on ways to save money, um, you know, eating animal protein so that it becomes, it feels welcoming and accessible to everyone. Yeah. That's actually what I was just about to ask about on the point of accessibility. Um, meat prices, at least where I live are absolutely insane right now. Um, and Mm -hmm. it seems to be getting worse. What are some, some tips you have for making carnivore budget friendly or carnivore ish rather? Well, one is, 
is to source meat online if you can. If you, I mean, I use Walden Local Meats, and which is for the Northeast. I also, like um, full disclosure, do some work for ButcherBox. I developed some recipes for them, but because I do work for them, um, I've sampled a lot of their food, a lot of their meats, um, and you know different proteins, and they're great. So, and and those aren't the only two. There there are many options for that. Um, you mentioned Costco earlier. Certainly, if you have some freezer space, you can buy. If you can buy in bulk, you're going to save money that way. Um, if you see, you know, stores will put proteins on sales, you know, on sale when it's about to kind of run its course. You know, let's say the you're buying ground beef or you know steak or chicken or whatever, and it's you know it's going to hit its date in two days. You know, they'll lower the price. So stock up and throw some in the freezer. You can either cook it first and then freeze it or just throw it in the freezer and defrost it as you need it. Um, and certainly canned. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, it was like there was canned tuna and that was it. But now there's so many options for canned seafood. And even like you can get canned chicken breast, which sounds weird, but is actually great like to whip up a quick chicken salad. Um, but there's so many options for canned fish and some of it is really great quality. Um, and that's definitely going to save you money and it's shelf stable too. Another, uh, option that may be more or less popular. I don't know your, your podcast listeners, you know, Beth knows what I'm going to say. Your podcast (laughs) listeners may be more open to this than, than the average person. But if you're looking to save money, and even if you're looking to eat less meat, because some people want to eat less meat, but they still want to eat meat because they recognize that it's healthy and good for them. Organ meats, my friend, because a lot of organ meats are cheaper and way more nutrient dense pound for pound, even than the the muscle meat that we've been talking about this entire time. So uh, chicken liver, chicken heart, um, beef liver, all that stuff, bones, all of these things you can find at a lot of conventional grocery stores. Um, people just kind of look glaze right over them because they're not looking for um, organ meats. But um, yeah, you can eat a couple ounces of liver and get a lot of nutrients, um, for a very small amount of money. Yeah. Those are some great tips. Um, thank you both so much for coming on today, Ashley and Beth. This has been awesome. Oh, one last thing I I need to ask you about Ashley, um, because I had Vanessa Spina on, um, earlier this week. And so this is accidentally becoming (laughs) a pregnancy podcast, Uh, but you recently had a child. So congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that and um, whether you had to make any changes to your diet or um, how you went about like learning more about um, nutrition around pregnancy? Mm -hmm. I'll try to keep this short because I could turn this into a whole like second hour. Um, It's a trip in, in a couple of words, having a baby is nuts. It is wild. Um, but I will say very just quickly and generally speaking, I was, I, I, I like to say that I was fortunate because I want to be aware that a lot of people have the best intentions and the best plans and their pregnancies and births Mm -hmm. and recovery still don't go as they would like. Um, however, I did do a lot of work and a lot of research and a lot of mindfulness around trying to be as healthy as I possibly could be. Um, and, during my pregnancy, I ate carnivore-ish and very animal protein forward the entire time. Definitely ramped up those carbs. I ate what I wanted to, and I felt zero guilt about that. I think if there's any time in a person, in a human being's life, when you are told very clearly what your body needs and you should listen to it, it's when you're pregnant. Um, and so I did, but I still ate organ meats throughout the entire thing. Um, in fact, I ate a lot of food that 
that mainstream kind of advice would tell you not to. And I'm not saying that this is, you know, you have to put a caveat on this podcast saying don't necessarily do what Ashley did, but I did not worry about having a little runny eggs. I ate, um, you know, preserved meat. I ate liver, which has a lot of vitamin A that people seem to be worried about. I ate sushi. A lot of these are very kind of outdated based on old concepts of, of food safety, you know, like you're more likely to get salmonella from eating a salad than you are from going to a sushi place, you know, down the street. Um, and I felt good as a result of it. So, um, I, I just think that a lot of people, it's a very fear-based time when you're pregnant because you're suddenly caring for another um, living thing. And there are so many things that we don't know are okay for pregnant women because they refuse to kind of study it for obvious ethical and safety reasons. Um, but I think, like I said, it's just, it's a time to really, really honor what your body is telling you to do. It's okay. I slowed down so much more physically than I thought I would. I thought I was going to be this like hashtag fit pregnancy, like crushing pull-ups in my ninth month. And I was like barely making it around the block in the last couple of weeks of my pregnancy. Um, and I just was, you know, I, it, I learned a lot. I matured a lot. I was, um, it was a really, really incredible learning experience. And I think the fact that I didn't give myself a hard time, I ate nourishing food. I did not worry about the rest. I think that helped me have a relatively positive, healthy pregnancy and um, postpartum recovery. And I'm still doing the same things. Like, you know, it was the biggest joke. All of my friends were like, oh, you're going to be so grossed out by meat when you're pregnant. That's going to be your like thing. You won't be able to eat meat. I'm like, sorry, guys, like I'm still crushing the deer steaks. Like I, I like it. Um, and uh, he came out of a big a big, robust, strong baby. So maybe the liver helped. Who knows? That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, he's very lucky to have you. <laughs> and Aww, thank you for thank sharing you. that. I think a lot of people are, to your, to your point, um, afraid and mystified um, by nutrition around pregnancy. And I'm certainly not the person to be talking about it. So mm-hmm. I appreciate Do you sharing research. your experience. Yeah. Like I would just tell people like, do your research, but do at the end of the day, like within reason, when it comes to food, like do what feels comfortable to you. Like don't suddenly change your diet completely just because, you know, somebody else told you to, like, I would, I would go on these pregnancy apps. I tell the story all the time. Cause I was so flabbergasted. I went on this pregnancy app and there was a, a article that said, you know, protein is so important during pregnancy. Here are the best sources of protein. And they listed chickpeas and peanut butter and tofu. And I don't know, some other crazy stuff. And they literally didn't even mention animal protein. Like I get it. If you're trying to be, you know, equal, like eat plant-based, whatever, but like to not even mention animal protein at all, when you're talking about protein and telling pregnant women that like, just eat peanut butter and you'll be fine. That is insanity to me. Like when I read that, I was like, I can't trust these apps. Like you need to like, I don't know, get a trusted health, uh, practitioner, healthcare practitioner who will help you, but like do your own research, figure it out, know what feels good for your body because that's, that's crazy. And I also listened to another podcast. I'm sorry, I'm rambling now, but this this one podcast that they were talking about what to eat when you're pregnant. And she was a plant-based nutritionist who said, if you are okay with eating meat, um, you know, it's not like a moral thing. It's just, you kind of prefer to avoid it. If you're okay with eating meat, I recommend it while you're pregnant. And if plant-based wow. people will tell you like to, to optimize the health of this growing fetus, eat animal protein, but when you're not pregnant, it doesn't matter. Just eat whatever, just eat whatever gets you by. 
you know, it's fine. Like that says a lot about how, first of all, how women treat their own bodies, right? Like you're willing to do all of these things to, to make your baby healthy. But when it's you, it's like, just smile with your salad and like get through the day. You know, um, I thought that was really telling, like it's, you know, uh, it, it shows how important it is. I think when even plant-based people are willing to be like, just eat a little meat when no one's looking, cause it's going to be good for you. You know? You know, I think your advice, Ashley, for people to listen to themselves and listen to their bodies and what they need, to me, that is like the most important advice because even your healthcare practitioner may tell you something and I'm not telling you not to do what your doctor says, but um, it was a long time ago that I was pregnant. My daughter's almost 13, but um, I remember being at a dinner with um, my husband and one of his colleagues and his colleague's wife, who was the same amount pregnant that I was. And she was so sweet, but she was like, oh, don't you miss coffee? And don't you miss sushi? And don't you miss? And she started listing all these things. And I was like sinking into my chair <laughs> because I was like, oh, I didn't give that up. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't give that up either. Oh, no, I'm yep, still eating that. Yet, yeah. Nope, I didn't. I mean, I just, and at the time I was like, am I the worst mother ever? But it's only, it was only years later that I realized that no, like that's the right thing to do is to trust what your body is telling you because those messages are so strong when you're pregnant. And that is not, people think like, oh, you know, our nature is telling us to eat bad things and we have to fight that nature. That isn't true. Nature has your back. You know, the, your, your instinct is towards survival and toward having healthy, you know, healthy babies. So if your body is telling you to eat those runny egg yolks and to, you know, eat that sushi, you should eat it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Well said. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time. Um, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you to the listeners for, for joining us. And um, where can people grab your book carnivore-ish and find both of you? Thank you very much, Scott. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. I mean, you can find the book wherever you buy books. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, if you're in Canada, chapters, and like even your local bookstores, um, anywhere. Uh, and then you can find me on Instagram. My handle is the muscle maven and my website, which has all of our book stuff, um, is just my name, ashleyvanhouten.com. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram also. My handle is cookiepie0402. <laughs> um, and uh, I also have a website. It's just bethlifton.com. And my books are there. And also uh, tons of recipes and all the articles I write and stuff like that. Awesome. Well, I'll have links to all that in the show notes. People should definitely buy the book. And thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out and share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at carnivorecast or go to carnivorecast.com. You can also email me at info at carnivorecast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.